You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. back to earth station trek a show where we trek from the early days on nbc to the future on paramount plus and everywhere in between i'm charles kelso and it's my privilege to introduce the earth station trek crew keith johnson i didn't start the fight veronica dazzle hi and we're joined by special guest fandy beth glenn hey you can't okay. deny the people what they crave <laughs> <laughs> oh boy That's, that could be bread and circuses and all kinds of things well welcome back to the show Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. Now, Keith, before we get started, you said you had a couple of uh, This Week in Trek this week. Yeah, we've got a couple. We've got two episodes to discuss. I want to be quick. There's a couple of things that I did want to mention. And t- I don't do a lot of birthdays anymore, but I thought this one was was good because this is one of the greatest antagonists in all of Star Trek history. And we lost her very recently. And on the 22nd of July, 1934, was the birth of one Nurse Ratchet. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, also, remember from Flowers in the Attic, where she played the uh, the crazy aunt, whatever, kept the kids locked up in the attic. And yeah. then, of course, she was Vedic and Kai Wynn from D Space Nine. That's right. Late, late great Oscar winner, Louise Fletcher, who That's right. by all accounts was one of the nicest, sweetest people you would ever meet. And if I had a nickel for every time I've heard somebody who plays a villain described in real life as one of the nicest people you will ever meet. It's right. amazing. The Andy nicest Robinson. people make the best villains. Yes. Vincent that, Price was a sweet cultured person. That's what they want you to think. <laughs> right. Well, they've got the body parts of the fridge, right? Right. <laughs> uh, a couple other quick things really fast. Um, 25th of July, 1967. I do this because this is seminal stuff. The first day of filming on 1967 of the episode Mirror, Mirror. Okay. Literally one of the most iconic tracks in in all of history. You know, everything from the beard to one of Kirk's best speeches. I love the, in every revolution, there is one man with a vision. One man cannot cannot change the future. Uh, And then my greatest line, which I think is interesting, is when Kirk tells Spock, in my cabin is a weapon that'll make you invisible. It's like, dude, okay. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, really great one. Um, Also, I thought this very interesting. In 1977, 25th of July also, construction started for new sets for a new product from the mind of Gene Roddenberry. The sets were being constructed for Star Trek Phase two. Oh, okay. Which were obviously later on struck because <laughs> Star Trek Phase Two died, and ultimately we got Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah, yeah. So, then, I think some of the, the the framing and some of the a- assets that they had made got rolled into the motion picture and mm-hmm. then reused on Next Gen and Voyager, and like they they used those things for years. I, right. I, didn't, I hadn't known that project got far enough along for them to build sets. Mm-hmm. They had started on it. Yeah, they did. And then two more quick things. On the 20th of July, 1965, this is so awesome. Final day of filming for Where No Man Has Gone Before. Okay. Nice. The original pilot for Star Trek, the original series. We now call it the original series. And what was really cool is the rat party 
there was a rap party thrown by one Lucille Ball who showed oh. up and invited the entire cast and crew for this thing that she had greenlit, which she <laughs> doesn't quite know. I've heard, I've read different stories. Some people say Lucille Ball greenlit Star Trek because she was a visionary and she wanted this cool space show. Others say she literally had no idea <laughs> what she heard was that there were women featured prominently on the show, such as um, uh, Janice Rand, who would later become Janice Rand, and especially Majel Barrett as number one. And she heard that the suits didn't like the ideas. And she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure what this is about, but I want to give this as a chance if they're going to have women in a powerful position. That's the other story. I, yeah. I don't know what it is, but she did green light it. Well, the, the folks over at Fact Trek, if you've ever followed Fact Trek, they do a lot of evidence-based uh, research on the original series and its history. And they've got a really great article about Lucy's involvement with as far as mm -hmm. what the documentation is. Um, so I would recommend people go check out the Fact Trek article. Um, it's like Lucy on Star Trek or something along those lines. If you go Google Lucy Star Trek and Fact Trek, you'll get there. But it's great. So awesome. was, this the, was this the rap party for the original pilot or for Where No Man Has Gone Before? For when no hand has gone before, okay. which awesome. yeah, that that was a rap party for that, yeah, and that of course became the one that became mm. the actual pilot that sold the show to right. the, the suits, yeah. And then the last thing, just an important moment in history, July 29th, 19, uh, July twenty ninth, nineteen fifty eight, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration was chartered and started what we now call NASA. Okay. Wow. Which is boldly exploring our solar system. <laughs> got well, unless you count the Voyager probes, we haven't left yeah. the solar system yet. We're getting there. Yeah. yeah. Haven't haven't left it. Uh, yeah. Aside from the, the the Voyager probes, but yeah, they've got robots on Mars. They're they're doing some things. You know, yeah, we're getting we're getting there. Yeah. And that's this week in Trek history. Awesome. Well, if you're listening on the audio podcast, we'll take a quick break right here and promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. But don't go away because we have two Star Trek episodes to talk tonight to talk about yes. tonight. So. Um, Come right back and we'll get into Star Trek Strange New World. Stay right there. Soul Forge Podcast. It's a geeky look at love, life, fandom, mental health, pop culture, and so much more. If you're into learning about yourself and the universe, Soul Forge is your podcast. Each week, we have a surprising new topic, from stupid things we do for love to product reviews, and there's almost always a fun guest host. Like and subscribe to Soul Forge Podcast today. Spoilers. Perfect. Good job. <laughs> That's going to be spoilers wow. tonight for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Those Old Scientists, and Under the Cloak of War. And, Vanny Beth, I know we haven't had you on since Strange New Worlds has been back on. Have you been enjoying the, the new season of Strange New Worlds? I've I've really been enjoying it. I've, okay. Uh, I, I'm not as, as big a fan of the, of the gimmick episodes as I mm. think a lot of people are. Like, I thought the I thought the uh, the the episode where he, Spock became fully human was was just a a silly gimmick episode, and and okay. that's the sort of thing I, I I think a little of that goes a long way. I don't I don't mind it maybe once or or possibly twice a season, uh, but I I want more serious stuff from Strange New Worlds mm. uh, as a rule. 
Okay. Okay. We got some of that this week. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy, that's ever. good. All right. Well, do you guys want to start off with with those old scientists? I know that we're all big fans of lower decks. So, I mean, what what do we think about getting some lower decks in our strange new worlds? That was amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, despite good. Despite what I just said, I really loved this episode. (laughs) Probably my favorite episode of the season. Okay. Wow. That's high praise. Yeah. Yeah. And we we talked about, um, we're probably going to do a show coming up about Star Trek crossover because there's a lot of Star Trek crossover episodes. But I think Mm -hmm. this one is really successful and maybe more so than any other crossover episode because I think it's a really great episode of both shows, which is hard to do. Definitely. I mean, you could watch it as a lower deck story or as a strange new world story. I thought they did a really great job of sort of incorporating Bo- Boimler and his future knowledge into the various character arcs that have been going on on strange new worlds. And yeah. it's in some cases improving them for me. Yeah. One, one thing I didn't, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, humor subjective. But it was funny that you said that, Charles, because one of the things I wrote in my notes was Boimler works really well as a live action actor, even though yeah. I've pretty much only seen him as a cartoon. And I haven't seen I think I may have seen the actor's actual face once or twice, honestly. OK, but it's amazing how well he worked. And also, I got the sense that he would actually make a very good serious actor for Star Trek, mm-hmm. not just a goofy yep. comedic actor. Mm-hmm. He he actually has kind of a presence about him. He's a lot less slight in real life than he's drawn on the cartoon, for example. <laughs> right. And so I was kind of impressed with that. Well, Jack Quaid's all over right now. We saw him you know, on Saturday. We saw, obviously, um, those old scientists came out. And then we saw Oppenheimer mm-hmm. on Sunday, and he was in that as well. Oh, really? He's in Oppenheimer. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's ah. getting around. A couple awesome. of comments I want to hit real quick. Um, Wayne says hi. Hey, Wayne. Hey. Hi, Wayne. Uh, Matt said that they just finished today's episode. Good timing. And then also yeah, said that I'm only an ensign. Yeah, I'm lower decks, man. I'm an, I'm an ensign. What are you? Oh, you outranked me. <laughs> I outrank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then Elaine said this may be her favorite period. I don't know if Elaine means her favorite period of Star Trek or her favorite episode, period. <laughs> I think the latter. Okay. And wow. Keith, if, Keith, if you've if you've not seen The Boys, I recommend it. Ja- mm-hmm. Jack Quaid is in that. He's primarily a live action actor, really? not a voice actor. I didn't actor. know that. And I have never is, seen The Boys. He is just terrific, and it's okay. mostly it's mostly a serious show. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, you... I, I will say, watching him on The Boys after having seen Lower Decks, I couldn't get Boimler out of my head. So it was very hard <laughs> for me to watch The Boys after that. <laughs> yeah. Also, incidentally, he's Dennis Quaid's son. Oh, yeah. I didn't he, yeah. Any of this. he looks he looks like what would happen if Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan had a baby together. <laughs> I think that's accurate. I think that's probably very close to what it would look like. <laughs> okay. Well, that would explain his look then, because yeah, the first thing I thought was, man, he's he's much more of of a kind of a powerful physical presence than he's drawn in lower decks. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he uh, yes, both he and Tony Newsom did a great job playing Boimler and Mariner in live action. Yeah. Mariner yeah, was a I, lot more toned down because she doesn't have all those weird, crazy cartoon facial expressions. <laughs> yes. Um, but I thought it went worked out really well for both mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. She's, she yeah. still felt very, very much like Mariner to me, yes. though. I, th- I, thought she, I thought she did a great job. And I, I thought they structured the episode really well because it runs for about 22 minutes. 
and he's about to go back through the portal and then Mariner comes through and complicates things and it goes for the, another 20 whatever minutes but it's sort of the length of a lower decks episode on on both on both halves which I, I, I mean they, they, he very easily could have just gone back through the portal right there and the episode had been over at the 22 minute mark but um I thought it, I thought I thought that worked out really well hmm. I didn't they notice they, that yeah they know what they're doing I was a little disappointed that it, it was mainly a Boimler episode mm. and it was not as much a Mariner episode as it was a Boimler episode, but yeah, you know, you got to leave something for season three. <laughs> so were if this, those if this really becomes Ryan... an, sorry, I'm sorry, Penny. if this becomes an annual crossover, I, I wouldn't be a bit mad about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sorry, Keith. I interrupted you. No, no, I interrupted you. Um, was that so? Those really were Orion scientists. It, it looks like it was. They were really. Uh, I, I think it's funny. That the Orion scientists really do seem like pirates. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" They're very menacing, and then they stole we're the portal and left. Take this portal. Peace out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, yeah. I mean, again, though, that ties in with the the Orion thread that's been running throughout Lower Decks. Yeah. Of, of Tendi and the perceptions about Orion's. And I thought it worked really well with the time period mm-hmm. of him coming back through time 120 years. And even Captain Pike was like, do Orion's have science ships? Like, come on. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, but as you I, say, even then, Charles, he's kind of like, what are you going to do to convince us to give it back? I'm like, what kind of scientists are these? You know, we yeah. can use some grain, you know? So, yeah. Well, you could see how people would perceive them all as being pirates if they all kind of act the way pirates act. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I thought that was really good. I really, I really appreciated that the, the Orion ship was reminiscent of the Orion ship from Journey to Babel, the remastered version with the CGI one. Hmm. The the Orion ship in that looked very much like this with a little spinny spinny deal. Oh, I've never seen the remastered version. That's why I wasn't I wasn't familiar with that, that okay. design. Yeah, yeah. I never watched the remastered version, so <laughs> I, I didn't know that. <laughs> did you notice? Did you notice that the opening credits were also animated this this yes. time out? We yes. almost skipped it the first time, and we never skip credits. Yeah, but we were we were yeah. running behind, like. This it dropped Saturday. Surprise! They announced that it's going to drop at seven. But we had that burlesque show Saturday night, and we had a soft mm-hmm. call at seven, so we were already like getting ready and mm-hmm. had to go. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So we got there, and we're like, "Well, it's a soft call. The doors aren't until eight, and the show's not till nine. So we sat in the parking lot, watched it on my phone. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so I was gonna, I was gonna skip the credits, and I did. And I had the, the last little frame of the credits of the ship, and I was like, "It's animated!" And I had to like back up. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys yeah. see the credits? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it looked really good. And they even put that crazy monster basically sucking yeah, on in the cell. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it ended with the space koala, right? Yeah. So, so they did a good job at that. I thought that worked really well. Yeah, the the ship looks really good with the lighter mm-hmm. color tone, a little more mm-hmm. like the original series Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And on lower decks, they like on, on Strange New Worlds, they like like the dark, moody lighting on the ship with the dark colored hull and everything. Uh, but I like it. Light brightened up a little bit. I thought it looked really good. I like the moment when uh, Tendi and Warren, they were saying about how everybody talked strangely. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they were talking too slowly or something like that. Right. Mariner <laughs> they always, what's that? Mariner and Boimler. Mariner, yes, said Tendi. Yeah, Mariner and Boyd. I thought that was so funny because it's right. They talk like, they talk and act like cartoon characters. You know, they, 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 <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so funny. You know, everybody talks really quiet and slowly 
I thought that was really good. And I also love the thing where they were basically basically pointing out that Boimler and uh, Mariner were acting like fans until then they started talking about the ship before them. And then they started acting like fans. And they're like, oh, wait. Uh." (laughs) Right. (laughs) That whole whole bit with needing the material from the original Enterprise that that gave us a way for the for the for the Strange New Worlds crew to start acting to get all fan goobery about about Archer's crew the way Mariner and Boimler were about Pike and his crew was just was just a brilliant move yeah. in the in the writing because yeah. it it tied the whole story up into a bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. And you mentioned Tendi. Like I was when that when she said her great grandmother was on the Orion ship, I just mm-hmm. knew Noelle Wells was going to be playing an Orion. Like she'd be playing her own grandmother. Like that's Me how they're going to get her back there. But no, mm. yeah, not not so far as I could tell. <laughs> I'm uh, I wondered if maybe the reason Rutherford and Tendi didn't appear in live action is because of the the expense or the difficulty of putting Eugene Cordero and Noel Wells in the makeup required for those roles. Maybe, but I mean, they, they painted three people green already. You think they could have painted Noel Wells green and it would be a, a, a great expense. And I mean, Rutherford, I think probably what it was is they're trying to, because having just Boimler there is a lot. And then having Boimler and Mariner, I think having four of them might've been, too much going on yeah true you know that's half half the size of the crew of the ship that they're on you know um <laughs> right so I, so I think spacing it out I, I think the pacing of it worked out really well and you get a you know about half the episode with just boimler back in time and then you add mariner into the mix but i think it'd be difficult to juggle all four of them and give them true. all all arcs you know right and yeah you know. and now they've left something for season three yeah let's hope fingers <laughs> crossed all right, let's grab a few comments real quick. Okay. Um, so Wayne said, probably off the subject, I thought the voice actors looked amazingly like their characters. Was that done intentionally? I bet it was. I would I'm think sure. so. I'm yeah. sure I know a lot of a lot of uh, animated series have been doing that. Uh, so Encanto, the um, Disney, new mm-hmm. di- one of the newest Disney movies, yeah. um, all the voice actors, their characters look like them. Like mm. at Dragon Con this past year, they, a bunch of them were there. They were dressed mm-hmm. up like their characters, and they look exactly like their characters. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I something think, people are doing now. Yeah, and maybe, and, and with Disney, they might be just few for, you know getting ready in case they want to go ahead and do a live action remake yeah. of their own movie. <laughs> <laughs> but they never do that with Star Trek. I mean, you've got a live action franchise, so why not? You know, at least make the characters look like just in case. And <laughs> you know, and when you have when you have actors who are primarily work in live action mm. as your voice cast anyway, you know, right. why, why not just go ahead and, and base the character designs on them? Yeah. yeah. All right. Dan asked, are you discussing under the cloak of war today too? Yes. And the answer is yes. Definitely. Wayne said the monster on the nacelle broke me up. That <laughs> <laughs> was funny, wasn't it? And Elaine said, Oh, I promised Alan that I would tell my one tiny quibble. I wanted to a mention of Trip when they were talking about the Enterprise crew. <laughs> they did mention Trip. Did they mention Trip specifically? Yeah. They, they he, did? His, he was No, they didn't. I thought they did. I don't think so. Uh, I don't remember. They mentioned his name. it was Ortega's drooling about. 
Uh, she was. She was. Uh, Artegas was talking about Mal, um, Mayweather. Mayweather. Travis, Travis Mayweather. She was uh, talking about. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she was talking about the great pilot, uh, Mayweather. Yeah. And how she had hero worship for him, which I think was a nod to uh, Mayweather because Anthony mm-hmm. Montgomery has said I listened to a podcast and recently like I didn't have anything to do on that show. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I know. Just, I was just thinking that must have been season five. I, I was gonna say I was gonna say, Veronica, you can be forgiven for forgetting about Mayweather because the Enterprise's writers always forgot about him too. They sure right. did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Boimler's reaction to Smiley Spock. Yes. Ooh. That was creepy. And Smiley Spock's Because I feel the same way. Exactly. Boimler. Yes. That was creepy. Yes, you might know there was a horror movie that came out recently called Smile. You know the yep. one I'm talking about? Yes. That mm-hmm. smile was creepy. It reminds me of the smile that um, Christina Ricci gave in the Addams Family movie years ago oh. when they forced her to smile and everybody was scared. That was one weird smile that Spock gave. Yeah, yeah, it was. And but I, I understand like you go back in time and you meet Spock and you make him laugh. It's like I, I just broke history. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a butterfly effect. I thought that was great. Yeah. And then accidentally telling Chapel that this is just a phase. Yeah. That the history knows him as uh, the stoic Spock. And that, uh, that scene in the turbolift was just heartbreaking. Just yeah. Bush's yeah. acting was just so perfect and subtle and yeah. beautiful. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was all trying to be cool. Like, oh, um, what about Spock? Right. <laughs> and she was playing it off pretty well, too. Yeah. Uh, the Boimler's the most um, observant person, but uh, <laughs> Boimler can't stop telling the future to people. No, he <laughs> no, can't. He was too excited. I won't say a word. Warf's honor. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> it would be hard, though. Don't mention anything that happened after the year 1900. Uh, okay. You know, that that that'd be tough just conversationally. Yeah. Well, like when he met I don't think had that conversation. Huh? Yeah, it's like when he met Pike. It'd be like if you met um, Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or John F. Kennedy or Bobby Kennedy, and you're just talking to them, and they say something like, ah, "I'm going to do something in two years." You're like, oh, dude, dude, you you don't have two years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it would be tough. I mean, even like the common turns of phrase would be out of date and potentially spoilery about the future. Yeah, right. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when he was trying to convince Pike to basically enjoy the moment of stepping around it. And Pike basically says, look, I already know what's happening. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen to me. <laughs> Mariner's like, you know about the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. Uh, yeah, All right. I did so Dan too. said, my quibble was there was no triple. <laughs> oh, I could yeah. go, Dan. Dan, I can go without never seeing a triple again, honestly. But now there needs to be a, the quibbles with tribbles. That, yes. That's, that's got to be an episode. That needs to be an episode. <laughs> that does not need to be an episode. <laughs> yes, it does. That will not. Lower decks episode. That must not be an episode. <laughs> After I saw the attack tribble in Picard, I was I was done. Like, okay, yeah. I'm done with tribbles now. I think I right. think we're done. <laughs> All right, Elaine said they mentioned Mayweather, Hoshi, and Archer. Mm-hmm. Wayne says, oh, yeah. yeah, Fox smile was not a friendly smile. It was mm. a Joker smile." It was. You know, I don't know if that's true. I, I think we just think that because we're so unused to seeing Spock smiling. 
Hmm? That could be. And because we're seeing it through uh, Boimler's perspective. Yeah. Where it's super creepy to see Spock smiling. Right. It does seem like a Boimler thing to be like, I went back in time once and made Spock laugh. And everyone's like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we've already seen a trailer for season four of Lower Decks. And there's a Mm -hmm. clip of Mariner saying to Boimler, that Pike thing that we're not supposed to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read that the, uh, the star date for this episode places it between, I think episode five and six of season three. In case anyone's a, a nerd for star dates, that's what I read mm-hmm. in an article, but I didn't go back ah, and verify that for myself. I was wondering that yet. <laughs> yeah, I admit to do the same. I didn't look it up yet. So Dan said Spock's high emotionality seemed to work well in conjunction with the cage and where no man has gone before. Mm. True. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I said enough about that. <laughs> I know. I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I agree with him that. You know, Spock was more emotional in both of the pilots, mm-hmm. uh, but I still feel like Boimler when Spock's smiling and laughing and having relationships. But I get it; it's the story. It's the story that they're telling this season. I don't. Right. I'm not object to it, but it does feel weird for Spock to be laughing at jokes and things. But that's the idea. That's the that's the story that they're telling. Yeah, and I like that Boimler came back in time and said, "That's weird. That's not what he does in the future." <laughs> oh, good, because that's what I feel like he's doing in the future too. I'm glad that's still the case. <laughs> Well, but it, also it was odd that the only emotion he seemed to be showing was was a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't. Didn't really get angry or sad. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't That's know. True. Name another emotion. <laughs> you know, when you talk about Boimler, what he does and doesn't say. What's always interesting is Star Trek does it itself. Is you go back in time, and they tell you you're not supposed to change anything. Mm-hmm. And then if you change something, quote unquote, then you find out you were part of what was supposed to happen. Sometimes. So you so, said, right, exactly. Uh, case in point, yes, uh, Assignment Earth uh-huh. that did the um, Gary Seven episode, Gary Seven and Roberta. Well, the Enterprise went back in time. And remember in the end of the episode, Gary Seven was even saying, despite the interference from the Earth ship from the future. And then Spock says, no, we were actually part of what was meant to be. But then you have other episodes where you change something and yeah. it wasn't supposed to be. So how the heck would you know? Yeah. I mean, no, we didn't know. <laughs> right. I like it. Yeah. I mean, even Pike was like, stand right here. Don't tell me about the future. <laughs> He's like, you're still doing it. <laughs> yeah. How could you uh, but, but I mean, justifiably, if he thinks that firing on that ship might cause Tendi to never exist. Yeah. How do you not say something? Yeah, Absolutely. Especially if now he's introduced himself as this random element that maybe something he did led to Tendi being erased. Yeah. Right. Because the way Pike treated him, they acted as if Boimler causing Pike to stand down was the wrong decision. But right. they finally did get the thing back. And yeah. had he gone to a battle, it might have been the wrong decision. So Boimler mm-hmm. still could have been necessary for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Goes back to that little bit of interference, which is really minor because I like it. He's telling, don't say anything, but they could be scientists. <laughs> okay. He's like, don't say anything. So he started telling Spock, and he's like, I can still hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was I was expecting a double cross because, okay, even me, you know, they're talking about the prejudices. I'm like, they're Orions. They can't. Now, I know you have to have scientists. Every race has to have scientists. I don't care what they are. I mean, you got to have Nausicaan scientists. You got to have scientists. I don't know how good they are. 
But when he told the guy it was a time machine and the dude was still honorable, I was like, wow, I'm surprised. I thought they would just take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I like that the, they, the scientists feel like the pirates give them a bad name. Like they're <laughs> tired of everybody thinking they're pirates all the time. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was they, pretty like, good, too. stole a relic off the thing to study it. Well, <laughs> Well, we 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 know that there are still going to be Orion pirates in a thousand years. So, oh boy, true. yeah, you know, yeah. So, some some stereotypes are earned. Yeah, well, the yeah, syndicate but, is vast and powerful. That's for sure. Yeah. But also, I mean, like in Tendi's time, there are Orions who were mad that they're still pirates. So it's, I, I thought that tied in really well with with lower decks. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked Mariner saying that she was not ready for hot young Spock. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was funny. funny. Yeah. Well, let's hear some criticisms of this episode. Anybody, who, who has a criticism of this episode? It was too short. Okay. Um, this is just an ongoing thing and it's a personal preference. I don't care for the Spock Christine thing. So okay. insertion. <sighs> Yeah, I know. I'm one of those bandy bad. So the insertion of that into any episode irritates me. So I yeah. didn't care for the whole Spock stuff. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have any real criticisms past that. It was fun. Okay. I don't think yeah. I loved it, but I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. Yeah. Um, I still think that the best humor, and this is a personal thing, I still think the best humor in the entire Star Trek franchise is found in the original series. I think they were better okay. comedic actors than anybody I've seen since. But I really did enjoy this one. Okay. Yeah, yeah I thought th- that after Uhura spent all that time figuring out the writing, I would like for that to have been more substantive mm. than just. I mean, I, I guess I don't. I mean, I'm guessing Noskins didn't build it. Maybe Noskins found it and wrote. This is a time machine on it. <laughs> that was is, hilarious. Is, <laughs> it is funny, <laughs> but um, I mean, they spent quite, quite a bit of time with Uhura figuring out the the thing and the clue that she got from Ortegas was that I guess she was playing with some Noskins at a bar and mm. saw the, that's fine. But right. then it, it really didn't lead anywhere, which I thought that would be an opportunity yeah. to have some sort of explanation. I mean, we didn't get much explanation of where this time portal came from, which is fine. We don't have to, <laughs> but I think finding this ancient time portal and then spending part of the episode, investigating the writing, it would have been nice if that writing meant something. I mean, it was a joke and it was a funny joke. So I, it's I, okay. I, it was I, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with Mandy Beth. I thought it was too short, and I want more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, they're, if they're going to do a Vulcan hijinks episode every year, I don't think we'll see what I can't do a a, a crossover episode every year. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't love it that they that they introduced yet another random time portal to the franchise because <laughs> we've already yeah, got but... we've already got the Guardian of Forever, and uh, I guess maybe those um, maybe those Iconian doorways yeah the gateways can, can also travel through time maybe oh in fact i think they can because there was that right. deep space nine episode where molly used one to mm. get stuck in okay. the past molly was o'brien that, yeah was that Vandy, an icodian portal i think it was but i'm not okay. positive Vandy Beth, but, I, dis- I disagree i don't think there's too many time travel things there's only there's only a guardian forever the iconian doors <laughs> the crystals on borat the, the library on Sarpedon. The library on Sarpedon. <laughs> one of the one of the stones of the prophets on Deep Space Nine. Those time crystals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're all over the place. Random portals that open up and let Frazier come through. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, after, and Keith and I were just talking off mic about this, but after 
I mean, it's the, the season of Picard we got and then strange new worlds. I was glad it was something I've not seen before. Yeah. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting a little weary of things that I've seen before. I enjoy the canning yeah. callbacks in moderation, but sometimes I feel like I'm drinking out of the fire hose. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do enjoy them, even if even if I don't ever get an explanation of what this portal was. At least it was something. I mean, maybe I maybe this this portal was a relative of the Guardian of Forever. Maybe I'm wondering about maybe. that too. I seriously wondered about that because maybe uh, maybe this was race. the the mm-hmm. Watchman of Eternity or something like that. <laughs> well, you gotta wonder if they put that. You know, if they had portals in more than one planet, just like the Iconians. So you gotta wonder if that race, whoever they were, had that in more than one location. I could see that. Heck, could have been a slaver weapon for all we know. <laughs> all right, let's circle around and grab some comments before we move on to the next episode. Okay. Um, Wayne said, attack Tribble. <laughs> and said that that was a Joker smile. Matt said, I'm afraid to check star dates in Strange New Worlds. Trek doesn't have the best track record with them making sense. I uh, love how Boimer was like, oh, five numbers. That's a totally normal star date. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, Strange New Worlds is following the TOS style of them just really being random. Yes. Whereas there, there's a system for the post TNG ones where you can you can that they, they it's all sequential and that makes at least some measure of sense because they were tracking it and they they continue that into the new shows. But in TOS, I think I think last week it was like twenty three something, and then this week it was eighteen something, uh, which is fine. That's what TOS did. But Gene Roddenberry used to say that it was a measure of not only time but also location. So like it would changes which is an explanation for why it's random. It doesn't make any sense either, but that's what I believed when I was a kid. So I still believe it. Interesting. When I was younger as a kid, before I knew, I always thought the star date was the local time, but then you don't always have an intelligent species. So you wouldn't have local time. So that that was gone really quickly. Yeah. Star date should be from the moment they went into the stars with warp and it should start at one or at zero and then go from there. And that's the star date. That's what I think. Okay. That's not I, how it works, but I've always thought they should. should I've always thought they should just use regular dates. That's the one thing I really like about Enterprise is that they use. Just yeah. Oh yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I agree with that yeah. because you start bringing other people to the Federation, they'd be like, "Well, why do we got a why? Why does a universal time set on Earth clock?" You know, if it's <laughs> if it's good enough for Pope Gregory, it's good enough for me. <laughs> All right. So Wayne said he did enough angry in charades talking about Spock. <laughs> Matt said, did I miss something at the end? Did they get the Triticale back? Yeah, I think they did. I think so. And I liked that it was it was tri Triticale. And then later on, they have Quadro Triticale. And then in the animated series, they had what's it, Quadro Triticale. Um, Quinto Triticale. Quinto Triticale. That's where Quinto, we go. I said Quadro fine. twice. Yeah. So that thought that was cute. Um, mm-hmm. But did you notice they were on Setlick 2? Yes. And I kept thinking, I hope they don't resettle them on Setlick 3 because <laughs> <laughs> the Cardassians are going to wipe them out later. <laughs> All right. always... so Dan said, I thought the Chromoth B portal was too much like a Stargate from Stargate. I thought that was awesome. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, I think you're too much like a Stargate from Stargate. <laughs> Except TNG season. Oh, Matt says except TNG season one. Those star dates are all over the place. Yes. And then Dan says, "I like how the portal was Nausicaan. 
After they didn't show up in Star Trek Picard, despite being hugely important to the character of Picard, I've been waiting for more about the Noskins to show up. They might have made it, but my impression was just some Noskins found it and wrote, this is a time portal on it and left. <laughs> but, yeah, I just love that. I mean, I don't know if there's any indication that they built it. They might have. I don't know. I don't know. But I can definitely see ancient Noskins finding it and just writing, this is a time portal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is important information if a Noskin finds it. <laughs> that did make me laugh. <laughs> All right. All right. Any closing thoughts on that before we move over into Under the Cloak of War? Riker. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that wasn't clear to me. What room was that? At first, I thought it was part of Pike's quarters, and that's why his saddle was in there. Yeah. But then Uhura was also hanging out there, too. So why would yeah. Uhura and Boimler both be hanging out in Pike's quarters? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. she said she needed to work there, and I'm thinking you don't have another room you can go to in that big A ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have a giant cabin of your own to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Under the Cloak of War, which uh, shifts tone just a little bit. A lot. Wow. <laughs> a little bit. Right. Does it ever? What did you guys think? It was really interesting to finally see some of this um, Klingon war mm. that that Mbenga and Chapel have referenced multiple mm-hmm. times in both the first season and the first part of the second season. Yeah. Well, we got some of it in Star Trek Discovery, but they, yeah. that, that, they sort of jumped to the mirror universe and came back and the war was later on. I, like they, I thought they could have done more with the war aspect of Star Trek Discovery in season one, but I, I did kind of like, this was kind of a, the strange new world's own take on the Klingon war with like their style of Klingons and, and so forth but i do i do like calling back to things that happened on discovery because it makes it feel more a little more cohesive to me before we started recording charles and i were talking and i was mentioning about my pretty much well-known objection to what i feel are excessive fan service and callbacks like my personal dislike of the gorn the kirk boys and the spark and uhura thing and one of the things i was telling charles that this episode with mabinga and chapel made me realize was I've always considered myself to be really open-minded, like with TNG and uh, on, no, Deep Space Nine and all the shows come out. I never pre-hate a show. That's not who I am. Yeah. And so I always try to make sure that I'm not disliking things simply because I really don't like the idea of the Gorn and Kirk and stuff on the show. But really stepping back and looking at it, uh, something Charles I realized was it's not that I dislike those things because I just refuse to like them. I honestly feel that when they do too much of that canon twisting and forcing the fan service characters, I don't think they do a good job. I don't mm. think the writing is as sharp. So when you have somebody like Mabinga, who's much more of a blank slate, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, now I've heard some people online saying this being, being as old than the one in the US. I know that's about. But Mabinga is a blank slate. And frankly, even this Nurse Chapel to a large extent. Mm-hmm. And so I could sit back, like you were saying, Charles, it's a strange new world, but it's a strange new story. I was able to enjoy it, but I think they honestly, I honestly think they write better when they don't try to twist canon mm-hmm. and history and fan service into the show. I feel too much like those things get forced. So when I watched this show, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. And I wasn't freaking too much about, well, did the Klingon War do like this and how many foreheads, ridges do they have and stuff like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. It was a great show, and I was more freaking out about, you have a doctor who takes a Hippocratic oath, who's some kind of assassin, which <laughs> right. is just wild. And then jumping ahead a little bit to the end, it's like Han shot first, but okay, who killed who? And, I mean, well, we know who killed whom, but what the hell Yeah, ha- happened behind that frosty door? <laughs> Vandy Beth, what did you think? 
I was it, it was devastating. This yeah. this this is the kind of episode that I that I want every me week too. from from this series. This yeah. is, for me, this is the reason Strange New Worlds exists. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, no, I mean, not so much the, the specific history. I'm I too am am less fond of, of the fan service and of the filling in the lines of the original series, but but thematically telling stories like this is is pretty much why I am here. Okay. And I, uh, it, the, the war story, the, the especially the flashback scenes were just devastating. Oh, mm. although yeah. I, I would, we'll make a note. I was very happy to see the tactical gear from Star Trek Discovery again. Mm-hmm. So I think those it are really. It was like, hey, that looks like Discovery costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh. and and Nurse Chapel looked amazing in that jacket. I just, I, I loved that. Yeah. Um, uh, on a, on a. Logic note: I, I'm not sure ground troops make sense in a war like that, in an interstellar war. But I would think the battles would mostly take place between starships, right. and what happens on the ground would would pretty much be irrelevant to that. Mm. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something in particular on the surface of that planet that needed to be preserved and which was valuable to both sides, and and yeah. that is what justifies the ground troops. But you know that's. That's a minor point. Um, uh, Robert Wisdom, I've I've loved that actor since The Wire, and he is always terrific. And I, I love seeing him in this. Um, and uh, Mabenga deleting Alvarado's pattern that was that is if that had been me, that would be something that would never leave me. That would haunt me every hour of every day for the rest of my life. And doctors yeah. aren't supposed to kill. Yeah. Even to save others. He killed somebody yeah, to save others. It was a trolley problem. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't say that he was wrong at all. And that's part of what makes it such an awful thing to have to do. Mm. Yeah. This episode made me think a lot of a DS9 episode. Mm-hmm. I um, knew it. If it had very much that DS9, I mean, specifically a little bit uh-huh. duet and a little bit Siege of AR 558. It had the, mm-hmm. not that it is copying necessarily either of those episodes, no. but mm-hmm. it, it had, it had that, that feel like they're taking a swing to do a DS9 style, like war arc episode. And I thought they did a really good job with it. You know, mm-hmm. it also reminded me, Charles, of another DS9 episode whose name I can't remember, which I think was from season one or two. It's where the, the, the famous Bajoran war hero Leonidas was mm-hmm. found on a prison colony. You remember that episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was literally the living embodiment of the Cardassian, I'm sorry, Bajoran resistance. And because he had this fierce battle, single combat with this Cardassian leader. Right. And he was on his prison colony for years and they finally found him. And he was literally the symbol of the resistance. And when he had a conversation with Cisco, it turns out he was just walking out. He caught a Cardassian officer who had literally just been bathing or something. It was pretty much mostly naked. Right. And the Cardassian guy was so upset that he fell down and he was nervous and the gun went off and he got killed. And And I'll never forget Leonidas said the, the general he killed or who died, he said the look of embarrassment on the man's face. It was not a fierce battle. He right. was not a hero. He didn't slay this giant. But even Cisco told him, you can't tell the people the truth. You mm. are a symbol, and that symbol is important. Yeah. And I thought of 
I thought about when I was in you know, growing up in you know America, Texas. When I was a kid, I was told that George Washington never told a lie, that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree and admitted it. And we all grew up seeing that picture, which we now know is completely crazy, of George Washington crossing the Potomac River at night in the middle of the winter, standing up on the boat. Right. Cool. Yeah. But it's symbol. It's imagery. Yeah. It makes you think things. So I'm not saying that God was wrong, but I understand the being is upset about it as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree with Benny. But I mean, Robert Wisdom was really great as um, was it Ra? Ra, is that his name? Doc Ra, Doc Ra, or Ra as he's calling himself now. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, he was Very. just great. I mean, I was sorry to see him gone at the end. I would love to have seen him continue, but um, yeah, and I love the whole thing where now the the, the Federation is embracing this Klingon guy to go around mm-hmm. as an ambassador. Um, I mean, it's trying to stoke the relations between them. It seems like something the Federation would do, but yeah, the people who went through a war, <laughs> like see, like multiple starships, they'd had problems with this where ever the, the, the veterans are yeah. like, no, like almost having a riot on the ship. Well, yeah. also true. he was really pushy. Mm. Like let's heal these things. Let's heal these things. Let's heal these things. Give me a hug. Let's heal these things. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, no, leave me alone. No, leave me alone. Yeah. No, leave me alone. No, oops, I stab you. I think he should. I agree with you. I think I agree, Jamar. I think he should have backed away a little bit. But also, you guys talking about Robert Wisdom's performance. What I also thought was really good was in just moments you saw looks on his face because remember at one point Binga thought he was completely full of it. Thought he was mm. pulling some kind of thing, just like Ortegas did. Right. And it turns out he wasn't. He was. I mean, he was lying about the history, but he wasn't false in his intentions. But every right. now and then you saw looks on his face where you saw that person he used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw the killer behind the eyes. Right. And then you kind of go, huh, is Mabinga right? I thought that yeah. was good acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a, a Star uh-huh. Trek canon callback that I actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. was their little uh, the little workout outfits looked very much like the ones from Charlie X. Yeah, ready red orange yes. workout hmm. outfits they were sparring in. Like that's mm-hmm. the kind of callback that I that that I enjoy because it's Me subtle. Too. You don't have to, they don't call attention to it. It's just like, oh, that's similar to the other episode where they were in a similar situation. And speaking of callbacks, the other guest star in this episode was Clint Howard. Yes. Yeah. Who has now appeared in five Star Trek series over a span of more than 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he played he, as a seven-year-old. He played Baylock in mm-hmm. the original series. Uh, in Deep Space Nine, he played a 21st century human. I looked all this up. Um, <laughs> he played yeah. a Ferengi on Enterprise. He played an Orion on Discovery, and now he's a now he's a crusty old doctor on Strange New Worlds. And I'm I'm here for it. I want yeah, I want to hear his voice on Lower Decks. I want to see him as a professor in Starfleet Academy. <laughs> you know, he's, only, he's only 64. We, he could be in a dozen more Star Trek series before the yeah. end of his life. So let's do it. Yeah, I would love I, for him to reprise the role of Baylock on Lower Decks. He could do a good Baylock. He did it for, I think it was Shatner's Roast. He appeared as Baylock in, co- yes. as in costume. <laughs> that would All right. Really I, I need to get some comments. I've right. been neglecting the comments. Sorry, folks. All right, so Matt Sweat, so Whitman said this is the most DS9 that Strange New Worlds has ever been. Yeah. 
I think it's the most Star Trek Strange World has ever been, but that's me. Yeah. One of the most Star Trek. I liked it. Yep. Jumping back to those old scientists, Dan said, do those old scientists include Orion, the Orion scientists? And I would say yes. Yeah, in this yeah. case, yes. Those Orion scientists. <laughs> Ooh, good one. Elaine said, I think they did a really great job showing the war on the surface. We don't always see it. We just hear about it. And the medical area reminded me a lot of MASH. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I liked the little tent city. I thought it was a really good use of that volume. Um, I thought it just it just all looked great. Uh-huh. Wayne said episode eight reminded me of a movie with the same dark tones, but I can't yes. recall whatever movie it was. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing, Wayne. <laughs> Dan says I thought Under the Cloak of War was a poorly written script, incredibly damaging to Mbenga by leaving him as a highly immoral and irredeemable butcher of Jagal character. But the actors seemed to do the best they could with its badly written material. Great to see Clint Howard back, though. And I disagree I, with a lot of that. I thought I thought it was quite well written. Whether I mean whether or not you agree with him killing those Klingons or not, um, and I don't know that I do. Well, here was here's my only thing. It's like the Han shot first thing I was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier, and I personally think that Han shot first because originally he did shoot first, and I'm okay <laughs> with that. If Mabinga straight up murdered the general, I have a problem with it because my wife and I were watching it and she kept saying, well, he didn't have any choice. He had to defend himself. I said, yeah, but the knife was in that box. Mm. And I don't know that the general was trying to kill him. So how did the knife get out of the box into the general's chest? I mean, it seems like, and we also just saw Mabinga, even though he's a human, holding his own with a Klingon. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he needed to kill him. So I am struggling a little bit with that. You know what I mean? I'm struggling with that. It seems to me that Mabinga killed him out of hatred. Mm. And I do have a problem with that. I agree with Dan there. However, I think everything leading up to that, here's the bottom line. Mabinga is not just a doctor. He was something else before he was a doctor. Because I agree as a doctor, there's a hypocritic oath that they don't kill. Mm. But he's something else. Mm -hmm. He's not not McCoy. He's not the wise country doctor. He's not um, Bashir, the callow youth straight out of the academy. Right. He's something else. I'm actually okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with that. But I mean, uh, and even going back to when he deleted that guy in the transporter buffer, ooh. you know, he deleted one guy so that they could beam in everybody else and save those right. lives. So I mean, he may have just looked at it as he's killing four Klingons to save countless other people because they are slaughtering people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were. I mean, has he told it? Slaughtering families, civilians, children, anyone who wasn't a Klingon warrior is going. Yeah, and even so, Klingon people. Yeah, is it immoral? to to kill those three people if you're saving those other people right i think it's against the oath so i didn't have a problem with that because a, a doctor swears that they will do no harm and of course right. this is not do no harm with an instrument so i think killing that guy was i do think it was the wrong decision mm-hmm. but i understand why he made that decision because he was right. he was messed up by then um one thing i did think was kind of cool we were talking about filling out technology you know and filling in the blanks I thought it was cool that when they cleared the buffer and people started beaming in, they actually added these little graphics that showed um, like codes. They were talking about the whole buffer. They actually showed the buffer filling, and there was a different number code for every person. Right. I, I, I thought that was kind of cool. And, and um, Matt, they looked, they looked like blue sky invite codes. <laughs> and I wouldn't Matt, know. Matt Sweatin was talking about in, in one of his uh, his uh, reviews of the final watch of the original series, talking about that famous thing about all this Star Trek tech that they introduced that they never use again 
Right. Well, Mabinga has perfected the store people in the buffer thing. <laughs> Nobody uses it other than him and Scotty on the, <laughs> the Dyson sphere. Right. I mean, that thing would replace Walt Disney getting his head chopped off and put in liquid nitrogen. I mean, <laughs> you could, I don't know why the Federation doesn't have whole buildings and banks of people with terminal diseases kept in a transporter buffer, but we have no indication everybody uses it all the time. <laughs> would you go in one? No. If I were terminal, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if I were, if okay. I were terminal, I'd say, yeah. yeah, put me in there and then because you won't know any passage of time. Yeah. And then, you know, you get dematerialized a thousand years later. There you are. And you're too fixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. Um, y'all forgive me for talking too much. This show really resonated with me a lot, but I thought mm. that, I, but as Mabinga's, Mabinga's ethics aside, it's a very insightful show about the human nature because uh, one of the things I mentioned at the beginning of the show was NASA. NASA was incorporated in 1958 uh, on um, in, in July 1958. The person who was most responsible for our rocket program, it was, in my opinion, a Nazi war criminal. And that was Werner von Braun, mm-hmm. one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. He came up with the concept of multi-stage rockets, which is how we got off. He came up with the concept, uh, talking about a wheeled space station. The United States space program would not have gotten as far as fast as it did without Werner von Braun. However, when he was in Germany, his rocketry work was done in a factory that was populated by Jewish slaves. Mm. Lots and lots of Jewish slaves died working on rocket programs for Werner von Braun. He claims later he didn't know. He knew. You can't not know that. And yet, what did we do? We got him because we didn't want the Soviets to get him. Yeah, we forgave him and we took a whole bunch because if Hitler hadn't been a racist, the truth of the matter is that Germany would have had the atomic bomb before we did. Right. But so much of the research of the atomic bomb was done by Jewish scientists and Hitler didn't want to use that research. So after the war, we took a whole bunch of Nazi scientists basically in this country. Yeah. And because like you got to do what you got to do. So as horrible as it was for those people to deal with that general, that's what. You know, that's what we do. Jerry Adams, who led uh, Sinn Féin, the you know, um, IRA, Jerry Adams was a terrorist. Next thing you know, he was a politician in a suit. Mm. Yeah. Tough. We're, we're getting close to time. Let me grab a few comments real quick. Um, so Dan said, I thought it was a lot less powerful than the DS9 episodes it pulled in from inspiration from. Hmm. He's wrong. Matt Sweatman said, <laughs> I had a hard time wrapping my head around the existence of a Klingon defector. I didn't think that was possible. Which we can come back to. Uh, Michael Phillips said, I thought it was a brilliant episode and a great study of veteran PTSD. I'd like to see episodes like this every week rather than wasting time on fan service stuff and gimmick episodes. Amen, brother. Dan said, this episode seems to weaken Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country, as I always thought that was a more unique situation than this episode makes out. He's wrong. (laughs) Wayne said, I thought Clint Howard passed on. Nope. Nope. He's only 64. Yep. Mm-hmm. Michael Phillips said, I love Clint Howard's malapropisms. I didn't notice any. Dan said, I like the continuity regarding Mbenga and the transporter buffer relating to his daughter. Mm-hmm. That's I what I thought of when, I, when he first talked about Agreed. it. Matt said, I never thought we'd get a Han shot first <laughs> reference here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Full of surprises. Dan said, do you think Mbenga either A, deliberately gave Ra an honorable death and or B, saved Ra in the transport buffer after he was stabbed? I think <laughs> no, neither of those. Uh, Wayne says, maybe, but I've heard many accounts of military doctors taking up arms. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. 
People are complicated. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Matt said, I figured they'd bring me back and I'd, and I'd want to see Atlanta Braves baseball on the view screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan said, my working theory is that maybe in Benga, panic attacks over the Klingon war might lead to him leaving on his Vulcan away time referenced in the original series. That would make sense. Matt said, or Michael said, I figured this is how Benga gets busted down from chief medical officer. Somehow it catches up with him. Ah. And then, and and then Wayne says there was an episode of the Apple TV show for all mankind where they addressed Von Braun's activities, and that's true. Yeah. That's a big that's a big part of for all mankind. And that is a wonderful yeah. series. Yes, Keith, it is. <laughs> I know, but he's been telling me to get the watching. I've been bothering him for a year and a half about this. <laughs> With the writer strike, I'll be getting to it for sure. Um, one quick thing about Mabinga, um, McCoy specifically said Mabinga interned on Vulcan, so I think mm-hmm. that's in his past, not in his yep. future. He can always there, go back there. Yeah, and there's been a there's been a huge discussion online on Facebook groups about how is it that McCoy ended up as the chief medical officer, not Mabinga, then Mabinga came back. I don't think that he needs to be busted, demoted, or anything like that. I think he was simply transferred off the ship and went somewhere else and probably was served a little bit of time on Vulcan. That happens all the time. He might have been, you know, he they might have been in his area of space. They might have called him back to just consult with McCoy. I don't think that it has to be in this big mystery like, well, Mabinga got busted or something like that. That's been online people like he must have been yeah. demoted because he's working under McCoy. I don't know if that's the case. I think he might have just been working with McCoy for a little while. Could be. Maybe maybe he'll go to Starfleet Medical for a season and then come back to the Enterprise. <laughs> but if they if they decide to go the route that he was busted down i mean there's a lot of reason for it at this mm-hmm. point he's got the hiding his child in the transporter buffer he's got the klingon super serum he keeps in his pouch he's got the stab <laughs> in the ambassador you know like <laughs> yeah that um, was interesting because he said protocol 12 he said Starfleet. When Andorian uh, was asking him to make some, he, he, he made. They made this point. He said Starfleet no longer produces it. So this was a sanctioned thing by Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Now chew on that for a minute. Yeah, I mean they're going to war with Klingons. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I mean, we've talked before about genetic manipulation, but I mean, yeah, I, it might make sense to give your people an edge if they're having to go hand to hand combat with Klingon soldiers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so many people have problems with that. Gene Rottenberry would have had a problem with that drug. Oh, he would have hated this whole episode. Absolutely. I don't have a yep. problem with it because that, like you said, Mandy Beth, we're complicated and we do yep. horrible things. Yeah. Was, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. You're the guest. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make a general note about the, about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, when strange new worlds premiered, Mm-hmm. everyone was talking about how it, it was going to be an episodic ser- series and the stories would be epi- episodic and not serialized. Mm-hmm. They seem to be having it both ways though. Each episode is self has, it does have a self-contained story, but the character work builds up over time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminds me of, of as one example, that the, the it, episode in the original series where uh, we learned that Kirk survived a massacre as a child in conscience of the King. And then there's that whole thing about Kodos and uh, Kodos, the executioner, the difference, mm-hmm. the difference is that in the original series, that sort of thing would be brought up for it, uh, one episode out of nowhere. And then after that episode, it would never be mentioned again. Mm-hmm. These things happen in strange new worlds and they, they become a known part of that character and it, yeah. they make use of it again and they reference it again and i just 
I think that's a, I think that's wonderful. I think that's a great thing about the series. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that's true. Yeah. Deep Space Nine became really good at that, too, where you truly saw character growth. Although sometimes they didn't because O'Brien got tortured so many times in the series. He should have been much more jacked up. Uh, <laughs> but Enterprise did that very well with people like T'Pol and Tripp's relationship. These people grew over time. And so I agree. Mabinga and Chapel are growing over the course of the series. And mm-hmm. you're getting more and more. Of, this is where they can. I'm really liking Chapel. Mm-hmm. She's nothing like Christine from the OS, but I like mm-hmm. that character. Yeah. Uh, drop a romance with Spock, and I'm I'm there all the way. <laughs> they, I think they're heading that way. <laughs> so you <laughs> might get you might get your wish. <laughs> all right. Any closing thoughts on that before we close this thing out? It was Trek at its best because it's making me think, and I think it's great that Dan made that comment because I have a huge problem with being a killing that one guy more than I have a problem with being a being an assassin. Yeah, but that's what it's about is to make you think and be uncomfortable. And I'm uncomfortable yeah. now. And they left it a bit vague about how yeah. exactly it went down. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's left up to the left up to us. But yes. yeah, my, my generally I prefer when Star Trek characters work things out and learn how to mm-hmm. work together. And I like the mm-hmm. optimistic thing, but I was driving north this right. morning and thinking about it. And then it'd be a, that can't happen every time or, you know, it's going to happen every time. And it just becomes Pat, you know, it's now's the part where we all get along. So, I mean, I thought this was a a very good episode. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because Mabinga Dan told Pike, basically, you don't know what I've been through. You can't talk to me about this. Right. Wow. All right. Vandy Beth, thank you for joining us. This has been great. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy it. Where can people find more of you? Well, I have my own podcast called Jettison Pod which is the podcast about comedy in science fiction. Mm -hmm. We've discussed many Lower Decks episodes there and also the work of Douglas Adams. We've taken a look at Futurama and at She-Hulk. And we we have uh, big plans for talking about movies and more science fiction literature. And we... I've had all three of you as guests on the show in the past. And probably will have you more in the future so please check it out jettison pod awesome it's it's great it's great i was just listening to you had this sort of um essay about uh the inner light and hard time with some really great thoughts i thought things i hadn't thought about about those episodes and about the technology involved and the and the <laughs> potential repercussions everyone should check it out uh, check out jettison pod it's 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 really great it's a really great podcast thank you keith where people find more of you you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, excuse me, X and uh, Facebook. Remember <laughs> <laughs> the ESO Network Facebook groups. Oh, and how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? The portal is portaling me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Quit lurching towards it. Bye, everybody. Thanks for participating, folks. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.